when it just feels like you're just kind of giving the devil the middle finger. You know what I'm saying? And uh, just proclaiming, proclaiming to one another and pro- proclaiming to the world. We on? All right. It's good. Can you hear me now? Uh, but it, it, isn't it good to be together, to worship the Lord together? Um, it's so, so fun to step away, you know, and kind of step out of what, what is normal for us. And, and a lot of the distractions, uh, a lot of the white noise that we get caught up into. Um, and to be able to step out of that and uh, step into the, to the presence of the Lord with one another. So I am very uh, grateful once again to be able to be with you. Uh, if you have a Bible, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Should I switch mics, my brother? Okay, you got it. Is this better? Okay. Fantastic. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we are on a journey trying to uh, walk down this road together of figuring out what it means to be amazing lovers, uh, to, uh, to experience the love of the amazing lover, uh, and then ourselves then be able to express amazing love to one another. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to read verses 4 through 7 tonight, and we're going to dive into that and kind of chop it up. Um, Let me begin uh, by reading it and then praying. Hear now God's word. Love is patient and kind. Love does not boast or love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that we've been able to worship you this evening. We're thankful that we get to be together. We're thankful that we've been able to enjoy your creation today. And we're thankful that we've been able to enjoy one another. But Lord, as we take a moment and and dive into your word, we pray, Father, that Holy Spirit, you would be with us and that you would come alongside of us and you would help us. Father, you, you know all of the stories of all of our lives here. And you know what it is that we need. Father, you know that some of us are really struggling. You know that some of us are we're trying to ignore what awaits us when we get home. You know that some of us are worried about how we're going to pay the bills. Some of us are feeling extremely lonely. Some of us are, are, are eat up with anxiety and fear. Some of us are struggling with tremendous guilt. Lord, some of us are, are, are locked into our addictions in such ways that, that we just don't know if there's any hope for us. 
Lord, I, I don't know these folks' story, but, but Lord, you know every single thing about them. And you know what it is that they need tonight. And so, Spirit of the living God, as we open up the Word of God, would you be kind to show us the Son of God? Because we know that it is Jesus, ultimately, that we need to see tonight. Jesus, we need to see you as beautiful. We need to see you as holy. We need to see you as the one uh, who satisfies all of our longings. That you are the the one who, who gives us safety and security in ways that nothing else can. Jesus, we need to see you tonight. And would you be kind to show us yourself. God, we pray that you'll get the glory tonight. That's our deep desire. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that and do all of these things, Father, so that your name might be made great. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's children said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Well, uh, let me ask you this question. Uh, If love was a brand, (laughs) if love was a brand, what what would be your kind, you know? Uh, What what would be the kind that maybe you express to others and the kind that that you enjoy, you know? What, 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 if love was a brand, what, what would yours be, you know? And I I don't know about you, but I don't want to, I don't want to have a cotton candy kind of love. You know, I mean, a cotton candy kind of love that, you, you know, it's all sweet, right? But you put it in, a, in your mouth and it just melts away. And eventually it will rot your teeth, right? I don't want that kind of love. I don't want a puppy love. I don't want a first grade puppy love that kind of comes and goes with the changing of the wind. You know, I, I don't want a Valentine Day kind of love that you can mark it down on a on a little heart shaped candy. You know, I, that's not the kind of love I'm interested in. I'm interested in a, a robust husky, you know, concrete, <laughs> you know, from another world kind of love. I mean, that that's that's the kind of love that I want to experience. And that's the kind of love that I want to be true of my life. What is your kind of love? Uh, you know, it's interesting in First John. Let me flip over there. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there too. First John chapter four. Let me read this to you real quickly. Here's what the 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 Apostle John says. He says, "Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been lo- has been born of God and knows God. But anybody who does not love." does not know God, because God is love. If you take the Bible and you ask the Bible, tell me one word to describe God. And the Bible says, love, love. If you, if you take the Bible and you say, give me one word to describe Jesus. The Bible says, love. And then you flip over to John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. And Jesus gives these unbelievable words. He says, he says, a new commandment I give you that just as I have loved you, you now go love one another. Oh, my goodness. He, he actually says, if, if, if this is the way that the world will know that you follow me, if you love one another. You know, you know, the characteristic of the church, you know, folks, we, we known for a lot of stuff in the world and some of it ain't good, right? Yeah. But, but Jesus says, here's what you're supposed to be known for. Not that, that you've got the right theology, 
Not that you've got the, the truth. No, but you to be known that you love each other. You know, and that's why when we go over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we have to really break this down and go, you know what? This is really important. It is really, really important that we understand this. This is not just something we read at the, 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 the weddings, but this is something that is for real, really important. Because we are to be known by this amazing, amazing, amazing love. That's what we're to be known for. This past summer, um, I came to the end of myself. Uh, I'd spent about four years chasing drunks and drug addicts and cleaning up after drive-bys and those kind of things in Dorchester. And I was done. I mean, I was worn, slap out. And my mentor got together with me and he said, you've got all the signs of burnout. You know, and he said, you better, you better get this thing figured out while your marriage is still intact and the church is still in a good place. And so I really, I took the summer and I, I went fishing a lot. <laughs> uh, my folks can tell you, I wasn't around a whole lot. Um, I was really trying to uh, figure out, you know, what, what, what was it that brought me to this place of just, ex- just pure exhaustion? And you know what it was? I really think I came to a place where... I forgot about love. I was so caught up into the mission that I forgot about love. And at some point in that period, my wife said something to me. And my wife is, uh, I don't know if, if your spouse is this way, but, but my wife is like junior Holy Spirit oftentimes. Uh, it, you know, she'll say things and it's almost as if it's coming from Mount Sinai, you know. Um, but uh, she said something that just shook me. She said, you know, in the church, when you boil it all down, the church, it's really not about programs and that kind of thing. But the church is really about relationships. That's what it's really all about. It's, you know, it's about our relationship with God and helping people connect with their relationship with God and our relationship with one another, you know, but the, but the, the thing about it is, is like the fuel of relationships is love. And the crazy thing about it is, it's not only is love, the fuel of relationships, but love is the byproduct of relationships as well. That's what comes out of it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's like this. Um, if you have like a dinner event at your house and, uh, you gotta, you gotta do a lot of work, you know, um, you, you have to, uh, send invites to everybody. You know, you got to get RSVPs. You got to plan the menu. Uh, you got to cook. Um, you got to set everything up. You know, people come over. You got to smile and be nice and entertain. And then they leave. And what do they always leave when they leave? A mess. And somebody's got to clean that up. You know, I tell my children, there's no such thing as like clean up fairies that just come and clean everything (laughs) up. Okay. And somebody's going to have to clean that up. Uh, but you can, you know, that can wear you out, right? You, you are left tired and exhausted. But what if you just have some friends over for dinner that you really love, you know, and, 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 uh, you got to do some of the same stuff, right? You, you, you have to invite them over. Uh, you got to cook, uh, you got to, uh, you got, you got to clean up afterwards, but, but oftentimes it's different because it's about relationship. It's, it's about love. You know, and one can wear you out and the other can actually refresh you. 
you know. And that's kind of what we're getting at when we're talking about First Corinthians 13 is, is this amazing love that, that impacts why, not only what we do, but why we do what we do. And what I want us to do right now is as we look at, go through four through seven, is I want us to chop this up by asking three questions. I, I want us to ask the question of what is it? Like, what is amazing love? What, what does Paul say that amazing love is and kind of define it? And, and then I want us to ask ourselves the question, is it even possible? <laughs> And then I want us to finally ask the question of how is it possible? So the first thing, what, what, what is this amazing love? Well, it's interesting that Paul gives us 14 characteristics. And we don't have time to go through every one of them, obviously. <laughs> but he gives us 14 characteristics to define what this amazing love is. And the interesting thing is, is that when you read this in the uh, English, it looks like uh, that there's all these adjectives. But actually, in the Greek, it's all verbs. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that you know, it's not just this mushy kind of thing, but, but actually... It's action. That love does something. You know? Uh, Love is active. And so, uh, let's break it down here. He gives us uh, eight things that love does not do. And six things that love does. So, let's let's start in verse 4. Let's look at the six things that love does. First of all, he says that love is patient. Uh, The old English word there is long-suffering. That means... Suffering for a long time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, and oftentimes uh, that's what love is. Uh, if, if you have been married for longer than a month, you know <laughs> that uh, love is uh, suffering a long time. <laughs> um, and, and so love is is patient. He says that love is kind. So whereas love is patient, there's a kind of a passive sense to that of, you know, you, you you're putting up with something. Um, whereas love is kind is really kind of an active type thing of, of showing kindness. Uh, it, it really is this word of loving kindness. So love is patient. Love is kind. And then you have to jump down uh, for the third thing that love is. You got to jump down to verse seven. And it says that love bears all things. Uh, love puts up with a lot, you know, uh, it puts up with all things. Uh, and then verse four, uh, the fourth thing, it says that love believes all things. That uh, excludes skeptics. Oh, I'm getting personal. Okay. Um, but love believes all things, you know. Uh, you, you may lie to me, um, but I'm going to say, I will believe you even though I know you lying to me. See, because that's what love does. You know, you, you can go, oh, yeah, I, I know you're telling you're not telling me the truth. I know you're going to take that money and go, you know, do whatever you're going to do. Right. Uh, but I'm going to believe you because that's what love does. Love believes all things. Love believes all things. Love says, uh, I will be hurt. I will let you hurt me again. That's what love does. 
Uh, love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Now, those are the six things that love does. Let's look at the eight things that love does not do. And then after that, I want us to zero in on one that I think really kind of gets after all of us. So in verse four, uh, love does not envy. Love doesn't envy. It's not jealous. Uh, love does not boast. Uh, it's not arrogant. Uh, it's not rude. Uh, number five, and this is the one we're going to come back to. It does not insist on its own way. Uh, number six, love is not irritable. Amen, somebody. Love is not irritable. Uh, love is not resentful. And then finally, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Now, the one I want us to zero in on that I think really kind of particularly in our day and age and in our culture, and uh, I think it's just it nails us to the wall, at least it does me, is the love does not insist on its own way. Now, I want you to think about that. Love does not insist on its own way. You may be patient. You may think I'm a kind person. I don't tend to be irritable. I tend to be upspirited, right? Uh, you, 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 you can say, you know, I don't hold a grudge towards people. Uh, you know, I'm, com- I'm a committed person. I bear all things. Uh, love endures. Uh, I can do that. But love does not insist on its own way. In other words, uh, love is not selfish. Love is not self-centered. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-interested. Love is not self-congratulatory. Love is not self-satisfying. Love is not self-righteous. Love is not about you. How you doing with that? (laughs) Oh my, oh my. And let me tell you, I'm preaching to myself. (laughs) Because this is tough, you know? Love is not about me, huh? Uh, Phil Riken, um, Philip Riken, he, he was a uh, pastor at 10th Perez in Philadelphia. Maybe some of you know of that church. I don't know what happened to the other nine. Maybe someone could tell me. But, uh, but that's crazy. 10th Perez, you know, 10th Perez. Uh, he, he, uh, he actually wrote a book about, about, on 1 Corinthians 13 about love. And uh, he, he t- he's talking about Love does not, you know, uh, care. It doesn't look out for its own interest. Uh, and he, he tells a story of his brother-in-law that during worship one time, they were all singing uh, that old song, um, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. You know, you know that song? Um, uh, yeah. and, and so they're all singing that, you know. And, uh, and his brother-in-law, who has a very good voice, and he's just, he's just singing it out like crazy, but everybody starts looking. Looking at him, and he can't figure out why they're looking at him. Um, but they're looking at him because he's singing, "Have mine own way, Lord. Have mine own way." <laughs> but it, you know, isn't that the song of all of our hearts? Have mine own way, Lord. Have mine own way. You know, and you know this is true if you have children. Because, see, you don't teach your kid. Uh, you don't have to teach them to say, mine, mine. 
You, 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 you know, because they just do that. They're always mine. You, you, you know, they're not going around saying yours, yours. <laughs> they're saying mine, mine. I mean, that is that is like it's almost like we're born with it. Hmm. Yeah, it's deep. It's so deep within us that oftentimes love is just about us. It's about us. Now, I, I think they're kind of. This is a complete generalization, but I think there are kind of two different types of people. Uh, there is uh, one type of person that I would call the, the self-professed my way or the highway person. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is the person who, whose favorite words is, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. They're the ones that when they get in the cab, they tell the cabbie where to go and how to get there, you know, because they know the best way to go and to miss the traffic and all that, you know. Um, that, that, you know, and they, and they are the person that they're not afraid to say, they, they, they believe that they're always right. And they believe that it is just always about them because, because they are right. And they know what the best way for everybody is. And it's their way or the highway. You know, um, and it's to the point, the extreme of this is to the point of them calling themselves and believing that they are God himself. Do you, you guys, does the name James Holmes mean anything to anybody? He, he, you may remember he was the guy who walked into the movie theater in Aurora and murdered 12 people, wounded like 58 folks. You know, this guy was, it, it, because at some point he decided that I decide who lives and who dies. You know, because it is about me. And this life is about me. Now, that's, that's one profile. But, but you go to this other person who uh, is much more kind of the, the passive, aggressive, kind of undercover my way or the highway person. <laughs> I mean, it's the person who, who um, they're pretty sure that they're right about things too, uh, but they're going to do it. They're going to talk about it in such a way that is, is, is very passive. They're going to they're bring you along, you know. Um, in other words, they're, they're, they're even going to, they're going to love you and you think that it's about you, but it's still about them. Uh, Mother Teresa, unbelievable woman, right? Uh, but she actually talked about how that in, in her biography that, that, that so much of what she did was because she wondered if God loved her. And here was this woman who was giving her life away to the poor and to the needy. But what was it all about? That, that, that maybe God will love me if I do this. Who does that become about? See, it, it's still about you. It's still about, it was still about her. And I have to, I have to confess, that is me. Oh, that, that is so much me. You know, you know one of the reasons why um, I try to be a very good husband and I, and I do love my wife, but oftentimes the reason why I love my wife is so that people will look at me and say, boy, he's a good pastor who loves his wife. <laughs> and who's that about? 
me. And, and you know, oftentimes I want my children to act well. I want them to behave. Not because I want things to go well for them. But so that people will look at me and say, boy, the pastor has good kids. He must be a good dad, you know. And, and who is that always about? It's about me. But you know what? That's not love. That's not love. You know, when, when you give your money and your time and, and you serve so that you feel good about yourself, that's not love. It's not love. When, when you do something nice for your neighbor, you shovel their walk, you know, you, you rake their leaves, you, you go over and take care of their kids, or you take them a meal or something like that, that and, and it's still about you and, and the very fact that you can be a good neighbor, that's not love. That's not love. When, when you say, I love you, so that you can hear somebody say, I love you too, that's not love. Uh, husbands, when you take your wife out so you can get what you want, that's not love. Wives, when you give your husband what he wants so you can get what you want, that's not love. Now, I said that much. I didn't hear that. When I when I said that in my I said that in my church, this eighty year old woman said, Pastor's telling the truth now. <laughs> being honest. <laughs> Just being honest. <laughs> Keeping it real. <laughs> yeah. You know, G.K. Chesterton in in his book uh Orthodoxy talks about uh loving a place. And uh, you know, he 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 said that that, you know, if, if I come along and ask you, you know, why, why do you love Capitol Heights? You know, why do you love Ashley Morgan? Why, why do you love that part of the neighborhood? You know, um, and and he said that if you would say, well, I love it because it's safe. And then he would say, well, no, no, no. See, you don't love Capitol Heights. Then you love safety. You love what Capitol Heights gives you. And see what happens when what happens when Capitol Heights is no longer safe anymore. Then you're out. You don't love it anymore. And he said the reason why you love anything is because God has put it there for you to love. And, you know, I got thinking about my wife. Why do I love my wife? Well, oftentimes it's because what she gives me, she gives me stability. She 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 gives me so so many things. But what happens when she doesn't give me that anymore? Well, then I get angry and I get frustrated because, see, that's not love. The only reason you love anything is because God has put it there to love because, see, love is not about you. Yeah. But is this possible? I mean, this is crazy, hard stuff. Is it possible? It's a great question. Is it possible? You know, we, we, uh, we, we already said, where do you always see this red? At weddings. Where do you never see it red? At funerals. You don't ever see this red at funerals because nobody gets to the end of their life and go, oh, he loves so great. Let's read 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> So is it possible? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Whether it's possible or not, it's required. Two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Is it possible? 
I want to say, yeah, it is. It is possible. You see, you see what, what God does oftentimes is he requires from us the, the, he requires from us the unattainable, but yet he empowers us to do the impossible. How is it possible? How's it possible? I'm going to, we're, we're closing up here. Two things. You got to have a divine example and you got to have a divine resource, a divine example and a divine resource. You know, when, when I read this, in, instead of love, let me put my name on this. Dan is patient. Dan is kind. Uh, Dan does not envy or boast. Dan is not arrogant. I can't keep going. <laughs> but you know what I can do right here? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus did not envy or boast. Jesus was not arrogant. Jesus was not rude. Jesus did not insist on his own way. You see, Jesus is this divine example that we have. And you know where we see this? Jesus said that there's no greater love than this. That a man would lay down his life for his friends. And he said, you are my friends. And that's what Jesus did. He gave his life for us. He laid down his life for us. You know, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he, was, he was having this, this struggle in his humanity. And he, he went before the Lord. He knew what it was that was facing him. You see, what was facing him was not just the fact that he was going to be shamed and spit upon and, and even beaten and even thrown on a cross and nails driven in his, his hands and in his feet. It, it wasn't even just that. But it was the very fact that he, being God himself, had been in the very presence of the Father and in perfect unity and perfect harmony and perfect fellowship for all of eternity past. And now that was going to be broken. That was what he was facing was the broken relationship of the father, where the father would actually turn his own back on his son because Jesus himself bore our sin. And it tore him apart. To the point that the gospel writer says that he was, he was sweating blood. I can't even imagine the intensity. And in that moment, he said, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, then let this cup pass me. But he said, but not, not my will, but your will be done. You see, love does not insist on its own way. It doesn't insist on its own way, but it says not my will, but your will be done. So you got to have a divine example, but, but it's not just enough to have a divine example. It's not just enough to put the bracelet on of WWJD. Okay. You got to have some power. You, you got to have something, something from, from outside of you that comes inside of you that gives you the power to, to, to love in this kind of way. You got to have a divine resource. 
a divine resource. Let me get at it this way. You know, one of the things that, that Paul says that love is not, he says that, that love is not arrogant. In other words, it's not proud. Uh, and it's interesting in the Greek, uh, this word, it's, it's a word that uh, is called, it, it, the word is fusio. And it's a word that, that is not used by many of the writers. Uh, it, was kind of, it was kind of a special word that Paul used for this word proud. Uh, but proud doesn't even do it justice. Uh, because we, we, we tend to think of pride and arrogance as something with our nose stuck up. You know, but but actually, this word "fusio" actually uh, refers to like a bellow, like of a, a bagpipes. You know, um, that that it inflates and it deflates because it doesn't have a core; it's empty in the middle. Yeah, and and, and see what Paul is saying here is is that love is not empty in the middle. Love love does not not inflate and deflate. You see, many of us, that's the way we operate, is there are times where we're inflated, you know, we're walking with God, we're being spiritual, uh, we, we sense the presence of God, and we feel full of love. Uh, and actually, it's just spiritual, spiritual overinflation. But then there are times where things aren't going so well, and we get deflated, and we get completely down. And see, the problem is, is we don't have a core. We, we don't have something solid in the middle. But, but see, here's what the good news of Jesus does for you. The good news of Jesus gets you over your inflated self and also gets you over your deflated self. Because here's what the good news of Jesus says. The good news of Jesus, this is what he says, is that that you are a screwed up sinner. I don't know any other way to say it. You are messed up. The way that you love is often about yourself. And, And because of that, somebody had to die for you. See, the penalty for that is death. And either you die or somebody dies in your place. But somebody's got to die. You are so messed up that somebody had to die for you. So don't walk around overinflated. Because somebody had to die for you. But see, here's here's the other side of that. Is that you are so loved that somebody was glad to die for you. Oh, amen, somebody. That somebody was glad to die for you because you were so loved. Not because of anything very special about you and that, I mean, you're, some of y'all pretty, but some of y'all not. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'm sure that some of you are good people, but, but some of you aren't good people. But see, the good news is that you are so loved. That somebody was glad to die for you, Jesus Christ. And what that does is, see, that gets you over your deflated self. So that, so that you're not empty. you got a solid core right there. Brothers and sisters, that's the way.
When we get a hold of that divine resource, that solid core, the good news of Jesus himself, and that that comes up within us, then you know what? It's not about us anymore. Love is not about us anymore. We can give our lives away in ways that we would never dream. That the all of a sudden, what seems to be the impossible becomes the possible. Now, no good Presbyterian or PCA uh, sermon would be complete without a Tim Keller quote. And so, um, I don't know if you've seen the little booklet, uh, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Oh, you got to get a hold of that thing. I mean, it'll, it'll bless you. You can read it in probably, you know, 20 minutes. And I played football at Georgia. So, so you know, it's good. It's really good. Um, but let me read this quote to you, and then I'm going to be done. Uh, here's, here's, what, uh, here's what our brother Tim says. He says, you will probably say, he's talking about this, being able to forget yourself. You know, that love's not about you anymore. Um, He says, you will probably say that you do not know anybody like that. But this is the possibility for you and me if we keep on going where Paul is going. He says, I can start to enjoy things that are not about me. My work is not about me. My romance is not about me. My dating is not about me. He says, I I can actually enjoy things for what they are. They're not just for my resume. They're not just for me to look good or to look good on on my college or job application. They're not just a way of filling up the emptiness inside of me. He says, wouldn't you want that? This gospel humility, the gospel humility that says that says that 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 you're 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 so screwed up that somebody had to die for you. But the gospel humility that says, but you are so loved that somebody was glad to die for you. He says, wouldn't you want this gospel humility, the blessed self forgetfulness, not thinking more of myself Not thinking more of myself, but not thinking less of myself, but just thinking of myself less. Wouldn't you want that? Oh, may that be true of us, brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father God, would you please make us people who love with this amazing love that is not about us. That it doesn't have to be about us. Because we have found all that we need in you, Christ. In Jesus' good name, amen, amen, amen.